You may ask, how did this tradition get started? I'll tell you. I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Let's Talk Torah. I am Rabbi Sweet Jacobson with NRM Streamcast, and we'll spend our time talking Torah, learning stuff, and having fun while we learn. You can always send your questions and comments to our mailbag at letstalktorah at gmail.com. Or, or you can go to our webpage now at letstalktorah.net. You can leave your messages there. You can hit our donate button so you can help the show grow. We can cover the studio. We can let more people hear the message, find out what's going on here, enjoy the show as much as you do. Uh, you want a shout-out, um, there's a place to put it in there by the donate buttons, different levels. So, again, I do ask you to go to that webpage, hit those donate buttons, help us out. And for those who wish, we will give you a shout-out. Today is a very special day. Today is my birthday. Happy birthday to me. Um, it's a fascinating birthday because it happens to be that every 19 years the calendar is supposed to rematch up. In other words, you have your English birthday on the solar calendar, right? So that's, today is June 1st. And you also have the lunar calendar, which for me happens to be Sivan Yud Gimel, which we're off by a day, it's actually tomorrow. But what happens is um, the Jewish calendar is forever recorrecting. What do I mean by that? Because the lunar calendar has 354 days over 12 months. The solar calendar, we're familiar, has 365 days. Now, that's not an exact number, right? It's off. It's 364 and a quarter, and we, we fix it, and we, we add in a leap year. So it's, it's not perfect, but the idea is we want to keep the season. So, for example, Passover is always in the spring, and the Shavuot holiday is... Uh, is late spring, early summer. And Rosh Hashanah is always in what would be the gathering season. But you're talking September time, sometimes later September. So you have to keep correcting because every year you're off by about 30, by about 11 days. Um, but 11 days is 33 days. So that means that, that in truth, even if you add a month every every three years, you're still up by a few days. So therefore, in a 19-year cycle, um, there's actually seven leap years. Now, that's still not perfect, because every, like, 300 years, you still need a makeup. So it's all mathematical, and they haven't figured out. But it's, it's basically set up in a 19-year cycle. If it's set up in a 19-year cycle, that's supposed to mean that every 19 years, your English and Hebrew or solar and lunar birthday are supposed to line up. Now, again, it's not perfect because in the Jewish calendar, so the day switches at sunset, while on the English calendar, the day switches at 12 o'clock at night. So therefore, um, for a few hours, from about 9 o'clock tonight till 12 o'clock tonight, my English and Hebrew birthday will be on the same day. So... For all of you that have been wishing me a happy birthday today, I say thank you very much, and we should all share 
in many happy occasions and birthdays, and a birthday is a good thing. Right? People say, oh, you're a year older. And what? You don't want to be a year older? Like, what, what would you like to happen if you're not a year older? There's not too many choices that I know of. I mean, there's some billionaire I just read online that he's trying to reverse his aging, but, but at the end of the day, and we're going to see in today's show, actually, aging is a good thing. With age comes knowledge, comes experience, comes the ability to teach, and we'll see, hopefully, as the day moves on, a requirement to give over all that good knowledge that hopefully you've been accumulating. So let's uh, let's get into this week's Torah portion. Also, my Bar Mitzvah Barisha. Thank you very much. So this week's Torah portion is Baloscha. The beginning of the Torah portion sort of starts in the middle of nowhere. It talks about that um, that Aaron, the high priest, the Kohen Gadol, has the command to light the menorah every evening, which is very beautiful, but has nothing to do with our Torah portion. Seems to have nothing to do with last week's Torah portion. It just seems to be out of place. So let's go back and look and see what's going on over here. So, last week's Torah portion, very long, we have each, the prince of each tribe, the Nasi of each Shevet, um, is trying to make up for a previous mistake. What was their error? When Moses comes down and tells the Jewish people, we need to make a collection, we need gold and silver and copper and and materials, and wool, and linen, and leathers, and wood, and all kinds of stuff to build the Mishkan, to build the tabernacle. So they don't want money. They just want stuff. All the things we need to build. Imagine I do a building campaign. Okay, we need bricks, and we need cement, and we need steel, and we need tar, and we need cement, and and we need windows, and we need doors. I mean, I don't know if, like, truckloads of stuff just got dumped. I don't know how well that would go. But in those days, that was a great way to build a tabernacle, let everybody bring the material. We'll sift it all out. We'll give it to all our contractors. We'll give it to our artisans, and everything will be made. So it worked for the Mishkan quite successfully. The princes, the Nisim, they said, you know, we, we need to make sure that this project is, of course, taken care of. So let everybody donate. And then when they make an accounting and they see they're short, the, the, the workers will come to us and we will fill in everything that's missing, which is a fundraiser is great. So I did my fundraising. I, on a $20 million campaign, I raised $4 million. And you guys will cover the other $16 million. It's amazing. Instead, what happened was that after two days of collecting, the workers came back and told Moses that we, we have more than we need. We got everything. So there was nothing for the Nisim to donate. Because they made a mistake. It is very nice to offer to fill in, but you also have to be standing, and you have to, as we say, you have to stand to be counted. And they should have given something at the beginning. They lost their opportunity. So they don't want to lose their opportunity again. So what do they do? The first day the tabernacle is open for business, it's being dedicated, the princes all come and say, Moses, 
we want to bring special sacrifices, special donations, special sacrifices. They even donated wagons and the cows to pull them so that when the tabernacle was transported, you would have a way to carry all the heavy beams and the heavy curtains. So Moses, of course, can't accept without permission from God. So therefore, Moses goes to God and God says, I don't want it all on one day. Each prince will have his day. And for the next 12 days, a, a different prince will bring. Judah is the first one. Um, and they will bring it throughout 12 days. And it's happens to be fascinating. They each bring the exact same sacrifice. They want it to be the same. They didn't want one person trying to outdo the other. So they were all exactly the same. However, even though they're all exactly the same, they're all totally different. Why? Because it says that each sacrifice that each prince brought actually um, was uh, portended, I guess is the right word, um, but actually was like a, a sort of a prophecy of what was going to happen to his tribe in the future. So they each brought the same stuff, but each one showed what was happening in the future of his tribe. So there's 12 of the same sacrifice, but each one had a different message. Okay. However, um, the que- if I ask you how many tribes there are, so everyone's supposed to say 12. The confusion is that Levi is a tribe and Joseph is a tribe. But Joseph's tribe got split in half. So that's his two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. So they have 13. So depending for what will depend if there's a tribe. So for these 12 sacrifices, Levi is out and Ephraim and Manasseh are in. Because Levi is camping around the tabernacle. He's like the honor guard. So since he's the honor guard, he's on his own pedestal, so to say. So he doesn't get to bring this sacrifice. He's not included in this sacrifice. Okay, very good. Now, if you want to know a different place on the on the stones, on the choshen, on the breastplate, so there Levi and Yosef are, have stones, and Ephraim and Manasseh do not. Okay, very good. All very good. But at the end of the day, Levi does not actually bring his own sacrifice. So Aaron, the high priest, I guess he, you would look at him as the leader of the Levite tribe. would make sense. And he feels bad. How come I didn't get to bring a sacrifice? So God sends the message to Aaron. He says, your inauguration sacrifice is greater than all the rest. Your inauguration sacrifice is the lighting of the menorah, of the candelabra, every day. That, so every day you get to have your own inauguration, and that is certainly more wonderful if there's such a phrase, certainly better than what the other ones are bringing. And that satisfied Aaron. That's what it's doing here. That was this juxtaposes right after last week's Torah portion, right after they finished bringing their, those 12 sacrifices or groups of sacrifices. Now it becomes Aaron's turn. Happens to be um, that others say it a little different. And they say that, Aaron, you will have your turn to inaugurate the temple. This is the inauguration of the tabernacle. You, Aaron, you're going to have to have a little patience, but the menorah 
is the symbol of your inauguration. When did that happen? During, of course, the Second Temple with the Hasmoneum, the Hasmoneans, when the Greeks took over and and uh, they took over the temple and they were taking over Israel and and uh, and Judah Maccabee and his five brothers and they got their little band of merry men and they chased out, miraculously chased out the Greeks. They retook over the Temple Mount and they had to rededicate the temple and they needed new vessels. They had to destroy the, the altar. And we symbolize that with the menorah, of course, in the holiday of Hanukkah. So that also is hinted to Ta'ara and the menorah is your symbol. That's yours. You are re, you will be rededicating the temple when the time comes. Okay. So now we know, now we know what's going on in the, in the beginning of this Torah portion with the menorah. It is interesting. It is always referred to as the, as the gold menorah, the golden menorah made of pure gold. Now we really know this already because back in the portions of Truma and Vayakel and Bikude, we talk about they collected the gold and they melted down the gold and they, they took a kicker of gold and that was used for the menorah and it was beaten from one piece. We know all this already. There's gold all over the place. The ark also has gold. And the table with the showbread also has gold. And the inner altar also has gold. So why do we seem to make a big deal about gold? And it was all the same gold. All these things use the same gold. Why are we busy worrying about pure gold? So you need to know like this. The each, each vessel, really all the objects, but, but each vessel in the tabernacle represents part of the Jewish people or something the Jewish people need. The menorah represents Torah and Torah study. And the fact that we keep mentioning pure gold, we say pure gold because pure gold tells you that Torah study needs to be pure, which starts with children. And when we teach children, it is most important that it is done in the most pure, unadulterated manner possible. Which leads me to a story that I just actually read recently. I told you I've been talking about this book, Spare the Child, and my daughter likes the book, therefore she absconded with it or borrowed it. Um, and it's a good thing I finished it. But in any case, um, so there's a man at a conference. I don't know why he was at the conference, but there's a man by, by a conference. And it seems there are a lot of people were getting up and discussing um, how children have to know what's out there in the world and we have to... We have to introduce all kinds of ideas, and children have to know about this and know about that and know about the other thing, and all these things are very important, and, and all these things have to be done. And, um, and this man stood up, and he was fuming. And he said, he said the following. He said, some people look at me as a success story. When I was younger, Torah study school was not my thing. I was wild, I was undisciplined, and it was decided that the best thing for me to do would be to join the army, the Israeli army. It would give me discipline, it would give me focus, it would give me purpose, and it would settle me down. And in truth, it did all those things. It gave me focus, it gave me a purpose, it... it, it settled me, 
But what nobody realized, but I did, is that I am basically traumatized for life. Not because I saw people get killed, not because of machine guns, not because of planes, not because of boats. But, and don't think when I was in the army, I wasn't allowed to be religious. I was allowed to be religious. I was allowed to study a little bit. I was allowed to keep kosher. The problem was that in the army, I was empty. It wasn't that, you know, people were irreligious. It wasn't that people didn't talk about God. But in the army, there was no God. The environment, again, they let me keep kosher. They let me do mitzvot. They let me put on tefillin. They let me do stuff. But the army was so empty. It was so no God that that's the environment that I was placed in. And, and my soul felt empty. And that's what I was living with. I was living with an emptiness, and I couldn't fix it. There was just no way, nowhere, no how in the army, in the Israeli army, to feel anything about God. And I am suffering from it till today. Yes, I'm religious. Yes, I'm orthodox. But he got up and he told the conference, if you think that, that it's not important, the environment that we put children in, and you can put children in any environment and they can take from everywhere and everything and everything will be fine and dandy. I'm telling you that's not true. If you want your children to grow up and have a good feeling of religion or a good feeling of God or a good feeling of Torah study, they have to be in a pure environment. It's okay to be, uh, as, as we in Detroit we like to call it, we live in a ghetto. It's not a real ghetto, of course, but it's a it's a pretty um, closed neighborhood. I mean, we have all kinds of people living there. Don't get me wrong, but percentage-wise, it's overwhelming um, as a Jewish neighborhood. And there's what to be said for that, because the children can be in a pure environment, the kind of environment that I want my child to grow up in. Am I worried what will be when my child uh, finds out there's a whole wide world out there? No, I am not. It's not a problem. First, give them the basis. Give them the foundation. Let them know what it's like to be in a good, healthy environment. And then they get older. Yes, there's a world out there. They'll discover the world. They'll learn about the world. They'll be actually be better prepared for the world because their foundation is so strong. If we go ahead and give them a foundation that will crumble, what exactly do you think is going to happen when they check out that wide world? There's going to be tests in that world, because there always are, and they won't be prepared. You think you're preparing the person for the test by letting him find out about the test earlier. No. All you're doing is making sure that that person, child, is completely unprepared for anything that will come his way. So... Um, you know, we, we once talked to another story uh, about the idea of purity. Just a funny story. Um, it seems to have some truth to it. There was a, a Jewish high school, and a, I guess across the street, they had put up some billboard, and it was not appropriate. This is not what you want a, a nice Jewish high school to be looking at a bunch of naked ladies um, or almost naked. I mean, that's the purpose of the billboard, right? As they, they want people to, 
they want people to see uh, those kinds of pictures because they'll buy, they'll be interested, they'll whatever it is. The guy felt it was inappropriate, so he called up the billboard company, and he said he wants to rent the billboard. Uh, he doesn't want that ad there, and he worked it out. He paid a lot of money, and they said you have to rent it for a month. So he paid the money. He had the money of uh, three months. I'm sorry, he had the money for three months. He had enough. He figured, let me at least take care of three months, and we'll worry about everything else later. Anyways, so they came back to him. What do you want to do with a billboard? Like, you got to do something. Right? And if you don't do something, then they're going to do something else with it. So he says, fine. I want a countdown. So I have the billboard for 90 days, or at that point, maybe 87. Every day, I want a number up there, and you minus it by one every day. So now, all of a sudden, all the cars driving, it probably was over a highway, 87, 86, 85. Now, all of a sudden, people were taking notice, right? 84, 83, 64, 63, 62, 35, 34. All of a sudden, no one knows what's going on. But every day, there's been a number here. And everybody wants to know what's gonna, what, what, what are we going to end up with at the end of the number? He did not know. What am I supposed to do with this? Anyways, a few days before the final number was hit, it seems a very important um, company, a very wealthy company, might have been Coke, but I have no idea, um, wanted that billboard. They wanted to be the end of the countdown. And he made many millions on that uh, billboard. But again, the point is, that's what the beginning of this Torah portion is trying to teach us. It's all about the purity. Not to be confused, by the way, there's two places where, where we talk about gold. So it says, let's not confuse the gold of the menorah with the gold of Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Nebuchadnezzar, that famous king, and Daniel, who interpreted his dreams, so he had dreams of these idols that were iron covered in gold. Right? And we say, don't confuse the gold of Nebuchadnezzar, that mixture of gold and iron, with the pure gold of the menorah. You want your children to be educated. You want to give them a good foundation. It's got to be a pure foundation, not a mixture. So with my little time left, so and I was going to talk about my birthday. So the next part of the Torah portion is talking about the Levium. The Levium have a job. Their main job in the desert from the age of 30 to 50 is to carry the tabernacle, the beams and the curtains and the vessels and all the different parts and to take it apart and put it back together from the age of 30 to 50. That was their job from the age of 30 to 50. They had to be trained how everything had to be carried. It was manual labor. Once, they're, once they hit 50... So they, could, they were no longer fit for the manual labor. Now they can still sing, they can close the gates, and they can be the educators. And there's a, an, a beautiful lesson from here. As they work from 30 to 50, but life is not done at 50. Right? Re- lesson number one is retirement doesn't mean you're done. You know, some people, they retire to die. You're not supposed to retire and have nothing to do. Right? In spirituality, you're never done. Yeah, maybe physically, I'm not, uh, I'm not schlepping anymore. But in spiritual, I'm always growing. That's lesson number one. Lesson number two is that when they retired, they would teach the students. They had experience. They had life experience, right? We don't put out somebody older to pasture. 
right? We use his life skills to teach people what life is all about so they don't make the mistakes he made and they can learn from the things he did well. And the last lesson, of course, is that everyone has their job. Everyone has their skill. My goal is not to look at what everybody else is doing. My goal is to look at what I'm good at. As long as I recognize this is what I'm good at and this is what I focus on, then I won't be worried about what everybody else is busy doing. And Moses, when he was telling the Levium, he was, um, oh, there goes the music. So we will not be able to finish that. But of course, as always, I hope you enjoyed it short and sweet. Thank you, of course, for the production team. I have Alan and Jenna's with us today in the back. Thank you to the ones who are listening. I can't do it without you. I have left you with some food for thought. Until next time, I am Rabbi Tzvi Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk Torah on NRM Streamcast. Until next time, don't forget to think about it. There's a house.